Hello, I'm Paula Boddington and I'm going to talk about genomics research and individuals and families. In the first talk that I gave about genomics research in relation to the Procardis Consortium ethics programme, I talked about how genetic information is particularly interesting because information about individuals can also be relevant to individuals who are genetically re related to them, to family members and also to population groups and to communities. Research ethics regulation, as I also explained, has traditionally focused on protecting the individual from harms and from exploitation. However, a lot of medical research in general has implications for family members and for communities, and this is perhaps especially the case with genetic research. Genetic research is not entirely unique in this way. For instance, infectious diseases and environmental contaminants, which might have health implications, are also going to be of general relevance to people sharing environments, including the family and the community. But genetic information does have particular relevance for those who are genetically related. This has led to some people suggesting that we might need to make changes to the ways in which we practice research and in changes in the ways in which we recruit people to take part in genetic genomic research. Genetic information and relatives. How much genetic information do you share with your relatives? Well, as a general introduction to this, first degree relatives would be a parent and a child who share 50% of their genetic information. Siblings, whole siblings who have the same parents, share 50% on average, but because of the way in which genetic information is shuffled around when eggs and sperm are made, it's only an average. So you might actually find that some of your brothers and sisters you're closer to genetically than to others. A secondary degree relative, such as an uncle or a nephew, shares 25%. And communities and populations can also share genetic information. So there are some genetic traits which might be more common in certain genetic populations than in others. So information about one person's DNA might give information about another person's DNA. This information might be probabilistic. So you might have a 50% chance of sharing the same genetic status, the same genetic trait as a first degree relative. Some of this might be more certain. So that information on the Y chromosome is passed on virtually unchanged from father to son. Men have an X chromosome and a Y chromosome, and women have two X chromosomes. The Y chromosome is passed from father to son, and then likewise to grandson, and the information on that is virtually unchanged. So information about a man's Y chromosome will give information about the other men in the same male line of descent. Likewise, most of our DNA is packed into the nucleus of our cells, but some DNA is contained in mitochondria. Mitochondria are small bodies inside the cell, and mitochondrial DNA is passed on from mothers to their sons and daughters, again, almost unchanged. So information about my mitochondrial DNA will tell you information about my mother's mitochondrial DNA and about her mother's mitochondrial DNA. Again, depending on the disease, you might find that if a disease is passed down through a family, if your grandparent has the condition and your father has the condition and your son has the condition, you can perhaps know with certainty that you must have it 
because you've passed it on to your son. It's also quite important to note that some genomics research actually involves members of the same family. Some genomics research involves collecting cases of people with a certain disease and then collecting random controls. But in other research, you collect members of families. So for instance, in Procardis, there are family trio groups where three members of the same family suffering from heart disease are tested genetically. Now, the importance of this is that using this information in genetic research, the researchers for scientific validity have to check relationship status. And sometimes the relationship status can reveal anomalies. This also happens in clinical genetics, but it can happen in genomics research as well. So for instance, it may be found there are discrepancies in reported paternity. Somebody's reported as being somebody's father, but genetically it's found that that's impossible. This might sound strange, but there also can sometimes be discrepancies in reported maternity. Sometimes it may be that the person has, who's taking part in research has simply misunderstood if they've been asked to bring along their mother, not realising that it's important that it's their genetic mother and they've brought along their stepmother. But other times there may be family secrets that could potentially be revealed by the findings of genetic research. Genetic information can also reveal high levels of inbreeding within populations and rarely can actually indicate possibly incestuous relationships between people. Genetic information and research concerns. I'm going to talk about two main concerns about genetic information generated in research. Privacy and feedback of results. Privacy is protected in medical research, as it is in the practice of medicine, by various techniques. For instance, samples are anonymized. Often, samples are aggregated into large groups. Samples are de-identified, so the name of a person is taken off, and the researchers are only dealing with data which has got a number attached to it. There are also promises to guarantee confidentiality. There's also a concern about the feedback of results in research in general, in particular in genomics research. Some people have argued that individuals have got a right to be told about any results of research that might be relevant to them. Others argue that research results, especially in genomics, may be misleading, or that it may be very impractical, as well as very, very costly, to feedback such results. Let's look a little bit more about privacy concerns in genomics research. Recent work has demonstrated that there are various ways in which standard procedures to protect privacy in genomics research may possibly be breached. Some researchers discovered in 2008 that individuals can possibly be identified in aggregated data. Where the information from thousands of people is pooled, advanced statistical techniques can, in theory, sometimes track down and identify individuals within that group of 1,000 people. It's also been shown that information from different sources may be triangulated to identify a person. For example, there's a famous case where a child of donor sperm managed to track down his genetic father using information from various sources. Within a few days, I think, he managed to track down and discover who his genetic father was. Researchers have also shown that it's in principle possible to link DNA information from the Y chromosome 
which as we've seen is passed down almost unchanged from father to son, linking that information with registers of ancestries to make educated guesses about surnames. It's also been shown that it's possible to make reasonably accurate guesses about a sibling from DNA data. DNA data may be and has been used forensically to track down not just the individual concerned, but also close relatives suspected of crimes. However, it's also important to put these concerns about privacy in perspective. Although it has been shown that out of a group of 1,000 individuals of aggregated DNA, it is possible to detect the presence of an individual within that group, that's only possible if you already have that individual's DNA. There are routine safeguards about de-identifying and anonymizing data and legal regulation requiring safe storage. However, opinion is still out on whether concerns about DNA privacy in genomics research are alarmist or whether or not they may be realistic. Meanwhile, what is true is that privacy concerns for individuals may also have implications for close genetic relatives. Now a little bit about feedback. If results of genomics research are fed back to individuals, they may also, of course, have implications for genetic relatives. Information about research from anomalous family relationships obviously would have implications for more than one person, were that ever to be fed back. Information from genomics research may have implications for populations or community groups. For instance, there have been concerns raised that certain groups may be stigmatised by information about genetic susceptibility to certain diseases or conditions. There have been concerns for information revealing widespread non-paternity amongst a certain identifiable population group might stigmatise that whole group or may endanger individuals within it, such as, for example, wives who come under suspicion if it's known that the group as a whole have got a high rate of non-paternity. There's currently heated debate about what policy on feedback of findings should be for different kinds of genomics research. However, it's clear that some information that might be fed back could have implications for family members. It's a key concept underlying much of the ethical regulation of medical research is that it focuses on individuals. And one of the key ethical ideas is individual autonomy, that individuals have got rights to control whether they take part in research and to control the use of their information. This grounds for practice of obtaining individual free consent to taking part in research. But for relevance of much genetic information for relatives and to communities perhaps presents a challenge to this. It's been asked, should individuals get consent from family members who may be affected by possible privacy risks, no matter how remote, or who may be affected by any results that might be fed back in certain research. Some people have suggested that individuals should be encouraged to discuss research participation with close relatives. In some genomics research with particular relevance to certain groups, such as ethnic groups or isolated communities, consent from the whole community may be sought. We need to ask some questions about this. If we're going to include the family and the community in the consent process, this is an interesting step away from traditional research ethics where everything lay in the hands of the individual. 
Does this undermine individual autonomy? Does it enhance the protection of subjects? And if in an individual's family members need to be informed or consulted, is doing this the responsibility of the individual or is it the responsibility of the researchers? What I want to do in the remainder of this short talk is to talk about how there's a great deal of work that's been done in clinical genetics which shows the difficulties and complexities involved in family communication about medical matters in general and about genetics in particular and this work can be drawn upon to help to address the issue in genomics research about whether or not recruits to research should discuss their involvement with relatives. One of the things that I've been concerned about in looking at this suggestion is that it's made very straightforwardly as if it's just a simple matter to tell a research recruit that they need to go and discuss with their families the fact that they're taking part in research. However, that a huge amount of research in medical sociology and in clinical genetics in particular has actually shown that, that communication within families in particular about medical conditions is a highly complex process. Indeed, the very idea about who counts as a family and what are the different roles and responsibilities of family members varies across time and varies between different cultural groups. And in fact, genomics research, as we've seen, could potentially unsettle notions of family should unexpected results about relatedness ever be returned to participants. It's well known that lay people may understand health, disease and risk of disease in ways that differ from health professionals. Often their understandings are based upon practical experience of living and coping with conditions within the family. But even within the same family, different members may have different experiences. The situation is highly complex. You only have to think about if you look back to your childhood and discuss it with your brothers and sisters, some of you can remember certain holidays and others can't you get quite a different account, even from different people in the same family. For example, let's take the case of haemophilia, which is a genetic condition which is carried by females, but usually experienced by males, because it's carried on the X chromosome. Females have two X chromosomes, so if they have one X chromosome which carries haemophilia, their healthy X chromosome does the job and they're not affected. If they pass the X chromosome carrying haemophilia onto a son, males only have one X chromosome and will be affected by haemophilia. It's been found that girls growing up with a brother who's affected by haemophilia typically have a much greater understanding of the condition and of their own chances of passing it on to the next generation than girls who've grown up in a family where their father has haemophilia. It seems to be because if you have a brother with haemophilia, you tend to grow up with more first-hand experience of how the condition affects everyday life. So young boys tend to run around and bump themselves and need medical treatment in a way that their more sedate fathers don't. It also tends to be the case that fathers often protect their children from knowledge of how a disease is affecting them. So that girls growing up in families with haemophilia might end up having quite different levels of comprehension of the disease and understanding of the underlying genetics. Some genetic conditions are such that there are many family members who have the condition and then understanding of that disease may be greater. In other genetic conditions, few family members are affected or even an individual may be the first person in the family who's known to have the disease. 
All these sorts of differences can make a great deal of difference to how people understand health disease and genetic risk. It's also been found over and over again in different research that within families, certain individuals may take on responsibility for communicating about health. Often, but not always, it tends to be women, although there are cultural differences in this. And it's also been found that certain individuals may be seen to be more able to receive and handle such information and others less so. In many families, the ethical obligations to communicate about important information about disease are taken very seriously, but circumstances and different family relationships may make communication problematic. Withholding information may stem from a desire to protect people from information which, they th which a family member thinks is going to be too much for them. A conclusion from this might be that those involved in thinking about the ethical regulation of genomics research have come across a problem that research regulation is designed around individuals, but genomics research might have implications for others. One way around that might be to simply recommend people taking part in research that they should discuss this with people who are genetically related to them. But this might be a weak recommendation if it doesn't give any guidance about the potential pitfalls and difficulties that some, not all, families may face. So in this short talk, I've been talking about how traditionally research ethics regulation is designed to protect individuals and the notion of an individual's autonomy, their capacity to choose whether or not to take part in research has been a central plank of research ethics regulation. There's a problem with genetics research because the results of research and the concerns of research relating privacy of genetic information can potentially be relevant to those who are genetically related. One recent recommendation to try to solve this difficulty is to suggest to individuals that they discuss participation in genomics research with family members. What I've tried to show is that discussing with your family may be easy for some and difficult for others. The perplexing problem that's posed by genomics research is that our whole model of consent to medical treatment and consent to medical research is premised on the idea that an individual has got autonomy over whether to have medical treatment and over whether to take part in medical research. The idea that family members are affected really is posing a great deal of difficulty in how to advance our ethical regulation. The suggestion to discuss participation with family members is one possible suggestion forward, but this is an area which really needs further exploration because it's really an area which is raising really difficult issues for central notions about the ethical conduct of research.